Welcome to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. Welcome back to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them like you. Thank you so much for being here. I'm your host, Sarah M. Chappell. Today, at the risk of being self-indulgent, though it is my podcast, so I guess I can do whatever the fuck I want, um, I'm going to just kind of talk a little bit. I have some things on my mind, some kind of questions brewing, some ideas emerging, and uh, I thought it'd be fun just to kind of share that with you a little bit. We've kind of had some more serious businessy trainings recently, which I think is great. I hope that those are useful for you. And if they are useful, please hop on over to iTunes and leave us a review, five stars preferably, write down some words in their little word box. I would so appreciate that. That really helps us to reach new people and support more folks with this free resource. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in my feels a little bit today, so I thought we could hang out there in my feels. You're welcome to join me. You can bring your feels too. You can, you can totally meet me in the feeling space. It is an overcast, gray, dreary day in the mountains, and it seems like a good day for a little bit of introspection and, and curiosity. It's been an interesting beginning to the year for me personally and professionally, and I think that's probably where I want to start. I talked a lot last year, especially amidst the, the pandemic, the uprisings, the, the continued just injustice of our world, a lot about boundaries and a lot about giving yourself that space to not share things, <laughs> to, to not... Um, feel like you had to perform in a certain way to care for yourself in the way that you need to and recognize that often we feel this impetus to share either through a performance nature, right? We, we want to make sure other people know how we think or how we feel, or we feel the need to do that because it's also extremely effective for sales, frankly. And we talked about that, about kind of the, the self-exploitation of kind of sharing our, our feelings and our hardships and our challenges because they tend to be readily gobbled up by our culture that has been, you know, raised on, on reality TV and uh, <laughs> celebrity news. And so I'm always, with that in mind, you know, kind of navigating how I want to show up and what I do want to share um, for me personally. And I'll start just by giving you, if you need an external permission, which you don't, but I know sometimes it's helpful, right, that you don't owe people your feelings. You don't owe people your emotions. Um, in the context of your business, that leadership, you can stand up for what you believe in, you can support the world that you want to create without actually giving all of yourself to the public. And I was uh, leading a talk on Clubhouse uh, yesterday, and someone brought up this idea, this notion of the private self in the modern age, which is a really big topic. You know, I, I I kind of tend to lean towards, first of all, that privacy no longer exists, uh, that privacy is a myth. I think it's extremely, I think it's impossible to engage with the modern world and maintain privacy. Um, I don't know that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's kind of what I operate from. I just make the assumption that I'm not, I don't have privacy. Um, but then if there's no privacy, what is a private self? Anyway, cool question. Um, if you're not on Clubhouse, come hang out with me. Uh, I run a club called Bad for Business, <laughs> where we talk about all the things that you're not supposed to question. Uh, and that was particularly about authenticity and this kind of self-exploitation. But I'm curious, even if we don't have privacy, can we still have a private self? And I think yes, I think yes, we can, at least 
with respects to our businesses. And you know, something you guys have probably heard me before that stems from my my work and training with Ren Zatapek is this real understanding that your business is a separate spirit, a separate entity, has its own identity. It is not you. And as soon as we kind of lay this animistic spirit work lens on top of the business, we, we start to create a separation that does enable a private self or at least a non-business self, a self that is, that is not um, constantly, entirely uh, consumed by the business. Now, whether we actually in practice allow that non-business self to flourish, well, that's a, that's a question for another day and is really the work of the Holistic Business Academy and, and the things that, that I teach there is how do we do that? How do we maintain that separation um, in a way that is is supportive? But I'm kind of giving this long preface because A, I warned you, I told you I was just going to talk this episode, but B, um, because I do want to talk a little bit about how I've been feeling on a personal level. Um, it's been a minute, seems appropriate kind of with where I want to go with some of the conversation today. So uh, as I, I think I've mentioned before, so if I'm repeating myself, I apologize. Uh, but again, well, Repetition is not a bad thing. We tend to forget things. There's so much information coming our way. Um, last, yeah, I have talked about this. Last July, um, we had our biggest launch ever, and it immediately threw me into a, what I will call a mental health crisis. And I've been essentially in one of the most acute mental health crisis states that I've been in since I was probably in my 20s, probably since I was drinking, since then. So like, what, nine months now? Too long. It's too long. I do not care for it. <laughs> and I am, um, I use this language, though I'm also very, you know, I don't love it. I, I, would, I would like a different way to think about it. And if you have a different word, let me know. Um, I am and always have been uh, what, what people will call a high-functioning, <laughs> mentally ill person. Um, I know that word is extremely problematic. Um, but let's just say I'm really good at faking it. Right, I'm really good at still getting things done, at still um, showing up in many ways, and often people don't know that I'm feeling that way, except people who are who are very intimate in my personal life, and often there because I share it. So I've been in this personal kind of <laughs> desert, if you will, uh, for for about nine months, and since the beginning of the year, it's been actually worse. It's been it's been been harder. I've been having some more, um, some more acute symptoms, some more, more challenging experiences. And I wanted to share that because I think a couple interesting things happen. First is, again, we've talked about this before. I guess I'm just going to repeat myself today. Oh, well, you're welcome to come along for the ride. It's just remembering that what we see externally is not the entire picture. And that as soon as we start to create boundaries, um, I don't believe that boundaries lessen our authenticity, but they do mean that we're necessarily reducing the amount of information that people are receiving about us. And as business owners in particular, figuring out what we want to share, and what we don't want to share is really critical. So many traditional businesses, you actually know nothing about the people running them. Most of you have what is called a personal brand business. Um, that's what I have, for better or worse. Uh, and that means that it's essentially built on on your personality and your creativity, and that's in increasingly common, right? Social media in particular has made the personal brand um, a thing that didn't really exist before. 
I think maybe we would see it with artists, uh, writers, uh, very famous writers were often personal brands in a way, um, movie stars, right? That those, this used to be the realm of celebrity and now it's the realm of just people. But that's to say that we've been doing, a, doing business um, with me being quite unwell. And I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like, because I think it's helpful and or potentially helpful. I hope it is to you to kind of understand how I am still running a business while being acutely mentally ill right now. And then I think we have some rants coming our way. So stay tuned for the rants. The first piece I wanted to mention, and we talked a lot in 2020 about team building. That was kind of most of 2020 for me, business-wise, was systems, structures, automation, and team building. And we more than doubled our revenue year over year, which was great. We went from like 80000 to, uh, I, I think it was 197000 almost 200000 like 3000 more dollars. I would have been there. I mean, those numbers are totally arbitrary. I am actually usually more curious in percentages and ratios than like the core number. So we more than doubled, which is cool. Um, and we did that, you know, kind of with half of the year with me in this, in this kind of sick state, uh, not kind of sick, actually sick state. So the first piece of how we're running a multiple six-figure business with the, the boss lady um, being pretty sick is that I probably have a team that is bigger in size than I quote unquote should for the business. I've been thinking a lot about that because I definitely see some folks who run similar businesses to me. You know, there are people who are very team passionate and there are people who are very lean team. <laughs> you might have seen this, maybe you didn't even realize it was a debate necessarily, but there are people who are extremely profit driven who try to keep their personnel costs down because nothing will eat up your revenue faster than hiring people and hiring them responsibly. <laughs> and you know, I think my guess is a lot of you listening are probably not profit driven. You're probably driven by wanting enough money for yourself, right? Maybe for a future you're building, but this kind of obsession with profit is, um, is, well, I mean, that's essentially the underpinning of capitalism. And my guess is whether you've thought about it or not, you're probably not obsessed with profit. You're probably very passionate about your work and being able to pay yourself, right? Um, but profit's on top of what you pay yourself. Profit is extra money. Um, and often depending on your business structure, you know, you may not actually really have quote unquote profit yet because you're probably just paying yourself uh, whatever is left over after your expenses. But as you grow, you might have this magical profit, right? Um, and team eats into profit really fast, right? Once you start having um, contractors, employees, uh, people working with you, um, that is a huge expense, as it should be. You should pay people appropriately for their work. Um, but the people who are very like team, like high profit margin, right? I want a giant profit margin are often people who are then operating on very lean teams. And I want to kind of like, like bring that up first because I don't think I could do that. I am not capable personally of running my business alone. And I think I've carried a lot of guilt around that for the past year or so, especially because even though we have had really good revenue, we actually haven't been very profitable. Um, so for me, that's more of a cash flow thing. I like to feel like I have enough 
money to cover everything and and that things feel very easy. I don't I don't love the feeling of like being cash strapped. Um, that's not something that makes me feel good. But um, we haven't been very profitable. We were profitable, but it's not not some huge amount, um, which is fine. Um, I'm much more concerned about paying myself a salary that I can depend on, uh, which I do, which is cool. That that just started last year, like halfway through the year. So that being on salary is a whole new thing. And I, I enjoy it because now I'm like, oh, I, I make money very routinely. It's super neat. But I have actually felt kind of guilty about how high those costs are in the sense that I'm doing like I'm doing something wrong as a business owner because I should be uh, able to do more of this work myself. Um, which would mean we ultimately would have a higher profit margin or or have better cash flow. And some of this might, you know, be a few steps ahead, you know, for some of you listening. But, you know, if you make physical products, for example, you're probably going to need to hire help sooner rather than later. Um, you're something that or, or if you um, are a service provider because you're limited by your time and your capacity. The business model I have Somebody who was well, right? Somebody who wasn't mentally ill or, 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 or have chronic health issues could probably run this entire business by themselves. You know, I can look at the number of actual hours of work, what we actually need to do on a daily, weekly basis. And I could say, okay, yeah, somebody could probably do most of this themselves, but I can't. And some of, yeah, and I think that's just important to, to say, to, to see that, you know, as the business grows, my capacity is not the capacity of other people. And this starts to get a little bit tricky. I was having a conversation with some folks over on Twitter because I was curious, you know, can you say that you, I don't say this, by the way, but I know this is, uh, here's mini rant. Um, this is a buzzword without, I think, people um, having any, I mean, I know lots of people do have this knowledge, but I think a lot of folks use this word without actually understanding what it means um, or what the economic systems are. But yeah, anti-capitalist is a, is a buzzword for sure. Um, that means something very specific. Uh, capitalism means something very specific. And, you know, can you have an anti-capitalist business if you have employees? And the short answer is no, you can't. Um, when you have employees, you no longer have an anti-capitalist business. Now, I think you can still have employees with anti-capitalist principles, potentially. It's probably a whole conversation for another day. but. The employer-employee structure, that is really the, the core of um, the capitalist structure, right? So it's interesting for me to sit in this place and be like, well, I don't know that I could keep helping all these people, keep doing all this work by myself. In fact, I couldn't, but somebody else might be able to. And that's really brought up a lot of guilt for me, a lot of, and some shame, I think, some fear. I'm like, that I'm, that I'm wrong or that I'm bad or, or whatever, <laughs> whatever the thing is. But it seems important to mention here in the sense that if you're someone who has physical health issues or mental health issues, you may not be able to do it all yourself. And maybe that's okay. <laughs> um, and that's one of the big reasons why we've been able to still grow and support all our customers, even as I've been in this personal state, um, is because I'm not the only one doing it. And I think that's really important to talk about. And that that was something that I kind of last year made a big pivot into investing in and getting help and support. We have contractors and employees. We have both because I couldn't do it alone. Some of you may recall several years ago, I um, it was probably the last time I was really acutely ill mentally. 
know, I, I shut down the business for a little while. I, I took a big break. I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't do that work. That's really what led me to create this much more scalable style business that I have now. But I probably would have had to do that this year, honestly, if I didn't have a team. And I think this is about to lead me into my rant, but um, I, that's really the big piece, I think, that is not always as obvious from the front. Uh, for those of you who are kind of curious, I have a contractor I work with who is an online business manager. And that means that she does a couple things. She, um, I don't know exactly how many hours per week she works. It's not really like that. <laughs> um, but I'd say she's probably doing maybe 10 hours a week of, of high level, um, skilled work in the business. And she does everything from organizing our project management system to helping to manage the, the employees we do have to, uh, running team meetings to managing communications. Um, and she also helps me in one of my programs. So she is someone who has advanced knowledge before she worked with me. Um, is one of the reasons she's a contractor and you know knows all the tech systems and helps with all of that so when we do a launch like she sets up all the tech at this point for the most part um and that is a huge amount of of relief for me things keep moving forward because i have this person who does that right we have our our podcast manager who works like five to eight hours a week and then we have our community manager who works up to 20 hours a week now so just to kind of give you the, the lay of the land, you know, this time last year, we had somebody working basically five hours a week and then someone else working five hours a week. So we've definitely grown the, grown those hours quite a bit. And, you know, we can link, I think, in the show notes to some of the team stuff we've done. And this isn't meant to be a team episode, but just to kind of give a, a sense of the scope, what it kind of takes to run a business like this if you're sick. Because I think that's the kind of stuff that people don't talk about. And um, I do feel like that, despite my strong desire to preserve my own whatever little privacy I can get. Um, I do want, I do think that's important to note. The other piece that is really critical, which we've talked about ad nauseum, so I won't go too much into it, but is, is the scalability of it. My active live time with customers every week is usually probably three hours, maybe four, depending on the week. If we have like two calls in a week, uh, I guess I could see a schedule where potentially I could have up to like six hours if I had three calls in a week, but that's, that's it. Now I work a lot more than that. I don't like sitting here and be like, I work only three hours a week, but for me needing to show up and be on and be available and be showered and like be, you know, really present and really, um, you're really available to be present, which is often hard when we're having mental health issues, that is not a lot of hours a week. And that's really, I think, the second piece of this. And it is completely possible to have a service-based business or to have a physical product business or, or any other model, for sure, a less scalable model, and have mental health issues, definitely. But that's where we start to run into things like having to reschedule and having to create really generous deadlines for ourselves and often having to create a level of organization that can feel a little bit daunting, um, but ultimately is, is, is serving. You know, we talked about kind of how I schedule things and how in depth we get with that. That's really part of it. I don't make any decisions generally on a daily basis. Those decisions are pre-made. I'm not using my cognitive function, whatever uh, whatever little bit of it I have, to make decisions. I'm only doing using it to, to create action. So it's possible. 
the scalability of the business itself does help. So those were kind of the first, those were more the feeling things on my mind. The everything is kind of a disaster on the personal level and we are growing and helping more people than ever before. Um, and I'm really proud of that. I'm really happy uh, with past Sarah <laughs> for making these decisions. And I want to kind of dispel some of the, or just kind of mention that kind of business wisdom <laughs> does not always take into account our realities as humans. And you may find that you are going to be spending more money on things like team or automation softwares or stuff that feels a little bit beyond where your business is. Maybe it feels like a larger chunk of the pie than, than somebody would recommend. If you, too, have issues that mean you can't work as much as you might like. Or that there's certain tasks that are very hard for you to do. Uh, that, that getting some help there, even if that's, you know, hiring a, a contractor to work a few hours a week or something, that, that might be, that might really serve you. That might be really useful. And in the earlier stages of a business, it can feel hard to envision paying someone even for, you know, a few hours of work a week. But often a lot of the growth that we, we need does require hours. It does require somebody doing something. And if you can't do that, like I can't, then getting some help is a great gift to yourself. So now is rant time, okay? The reason some of this is coming up for me right now is because, and I'm the first to say, I am a pokey person. I make pokey posts. Uh, somebody once called me so good and so ouchy. <laughs> like, I, I am, um, I can be a little, uh, I'm opinionated. I actually don't really like conflict, but I, I am opinionated and not afraid of, of saying things. But I'm seeing this honestly really kind of upsetting trend <laughs> in, in the online business space. And I think the first step of it is it is a trend of no nuance, of, of bold statements and assumptions that are tailor-made for this world of social media that don't have any caveats or any other possibilities. And that often are directly contradicting themselves in terms of how they're being put out. So, and it's funny because I've been kind of waiting. I've been waiting to see something come across my feed or someone share something kind of about team. Um, because I actually think that out of a lot of the stuff that people talk about, the concept of, of team, of hiring of employees and how to do that is when you are someone who is curious or, or, or aiming for something resembling ethical business in a time when it's impossible to be ethical. I mean, I just don't, I truly believe that there aren't a lot of good choices that we can make. Choices largely taken away from us. Every choice we make has an impact far beyond what we do due to, due to globalization. But there is a, I'm waiting, I'm waiting to see that and I haven't seen it. I like almost feel myself braced. Like I'm, I'm waiting for someone to say you're a bad person for having employees, and it's because there is this, this, this thread of what folks are calling ethical business. Um, I use that for that term with great trepidation because I don't really believe it's possible. So I'll often use that term. I tend to use the term, you know, values led more. 
um, ethical, I think, is is a is a is a quandary. Um, so I'm very curious about it, but it, but I'm I'm wary of it. Uh, curious as a, about a topic, wary of claiming it. I think is probably the right thing to say, because again, I'm not convinced that it's possible. But there's this there's a school of thought rising that is feeding off of your fear of being bad feeding off of my fear of being a bad person and it is criticizing the the status quo if you will often using very classic straw man arguments vague assertions of evil overlords online and it's really enticing it's it's tasty it is it is magnetic and um you know i i honestly try not to pay a lot of attention to it but i'll see things usually shared in people's stories uh because i don't hate i i really am like i'll do what you need to do to feel good about yourself and your business um i'm not i'm not interested and i'm, I'm not going to um, talk about anyone specifically. I'm I'm more looking at it as this like this, this global trend. And what's happening is that people are setting themselves up as being counter to the status quo, right? Counter to defined by the anti. And that's not an uncommon strategy. In fact, it's an extremely common strategy. It is one of the most potent strategies being against something. I've done it. I do it all the time. I'll be like, no, I think that thing's stupid. I, I'm against it, <laughs> right? That's not, it's not a bad thing inherently. But what happens is when the thing we're against is something that most of us have either probably done. Um, we talked about this a little bit during the uh, HBA launch uh, last, last week, two weeks ago. Um, you know, me and over on Bad for Business on Clubhouse, I talked about it as well. You know, me as my business has evolved, saying there's things that I've done in the past that I probably wouldn't do, strategies I wouldn't use again, uh, things that I no longer think are, are necessary or important, things that I actually don't feel are super supportive or values-led. I've changed. I hope I continue to. When we define ourselves as being against something, if that's the, the core of the identity in the business, we run into a problem. Because it means that we actually have a harder time being for something, being generative rather than reactive. And the reactive, the anti, the setting up of a straw man of all the things that, like a boogeyman, a business boogeyman that you're afraid of, setting that up and punching it, it's way easier than developing generative work. And it's in some ways more effective because it speaks to people's fears. What's funny is that a lot of what I see is criticizing uh, what can rightfully be called very classic sales strategies. Honestly, stuff that I teach, though, through a different lens and always with a lot of curiosity. And I'm aware, I'm aware that one of the reasons this bothers me is because it's like, oh, I use that stuff. I think it's actually really useful in certain, in certain situations. But a lot of what it's criticizing is exactly what it's doing. This, this kind of thread of business coaching, of business advice, is so busy trying to be right, 
counter to this something, right? To, to be righteous. <laughs> that it's actually repeating the structure. It's actually recreating it. So things like being polarizing, right? Which all being polarizing means, if done appropriately, how we talk about it inside my programs, is standing up for what you believe in. If you actually believe something and you stand up for that, it's probably going to be polarizing, right? Now, you can be polarizing in a way where you try to create trouble or try to make people feel bad. But what's really interesting is that by, critic by critiquing polarization in business strategies, you're being polarizing, okay? By uh, critiquing, um, I don't know, motivational sales strategies, you're motivating sales. Again, I'm not going to get into specifics, but I'm, I'm kind of starting to layer this in because I am waiting for this. I'm waiting for the, the post to go around that says that like you're a bad person for having people work with you, like for having employees or whatever, because I think there is a conversation to be had there. But what might it look like instead to not operate from a place of anti? The reason this kind of thinking falls into the same traps it's purporting to break out of is actually because sales psychology, the things that it's critiquing, is based on human psychology. This is how we move through the world. Sales psychology is rooted in how your brain already works. That's why it's so fucking effective. It's not actually a construct. It is developed from human behavior. <laughs> and I've been wary of talking about this a little bit because I really don't have any interest in participating, to be frankly, to be frank. Like, I don't have any interest in telling people what to do or what not to do. Um, but I do have an interest in raising the question. Because here's the third piece of it, all right? We have this, it's reactionary. It's not generative, right? We are defining ourselves by the ante and thus, the second piece, often recreating the systems that we are trying to avoid, right? By, or, and I'm talking specifically in terms of like business marketing right now. Um, I'm sorry I'm being a little vague, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to discuss this without being, uh, yeah, without being gross and rude. Like, I, I, again, I'm just not, <laughs> I'm not interested in that. Um, but there's a third piece of that then, right? Which is that it creates public shame. Shame is a public feeling. It's, it's embarrassment within a social context. So when we present our work that way, when we present it as an anti, almost exclusively, right, rather than generative, when we're presenting the work and saying that people who do this thing are wrong, they're bad, they're manipulative, they're abusive, so a lot of the language is very is very taken from essentially like a like a victim's rights mentality and uh, like something really powerful and now put into a context that it was not designed for. <laughs> and what happens then if you're somebody who's done that? What happens if you've actually learned from someone who is maybe representative of this straw man? What happens if you've been someone who's been duped, who has actually had an experience where someone manipulated you to get a sale, or someone uh, 
kept, I mean, I've had this happen to me, kept you on a sales call and, you know, tried to, uh, yeah, to convince you that you should find the money. Okay. Things that I don't think are okay. I don't think that's right. Um, we don't do that. I don't recommend it. Often now you feel either shame because you've done that thing. You've been taught that thing. You actually like something that does that thing, right? Now you're a bad person. This, this collective group is telling you that you're wrong. Not just wrong, that you're bad. You did something bad. Or you feel so vindicated that you are now loyal to the person who spoke out. Or who's acting like they're speaking out. I am not interested in shame as a motivator. I think that's dangerous, especially in this context. Shaming people so they will buy your thing, that's not helpful. That's not supportive. And that is, I'm going to go and say it, that's not ethical. Pretending that you are different when you are not. And I honestly, I don't know. I don't know if these people literally do not have the self-awareness to recognize that they're doing the exact thing that they are criticizing. Maybe I'll actually pull this up. I wrote it on Instagram a hot minute ago, and I might just read my own thing. Oh, right. I had I wrote a whole thing about pain points. <laughs> um, so people are, uh, this isn't a great example. I've seen a lot of criticism recently of using pain points in marketing. Ethical marketing doesn't use pain points. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> um, so if you're not familiar with the concept of pain points, this is a marketing tool where you talk about the pain that your customer is in, okay? So uh, I'm just gonna read this. Condemning pain points, ethical marketing, or spiritual bypassing. <laughs> Witnessing pain is not the same as causing pain. Are you afraid to talk about the challenges that your customers are having? Is it because someone told you that using pain points in your marketing is unethical? I get it. The word pain itself feels slimy. And the term pain point stems from bro marketing that is 100% trying to manipulate people into buying, right? And I want to, like, parenthetical here, there's stuff to critique, for sure. There are some really gross practices. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you guys aren't doing them. You would never do them. Even, I, I, even yeah, it, I have not seen a single client of mine ever be using these kinds of strategies that, that are not because like you haven't been taught them, but y'all have a filter. And guess what? If you do do them, I still love you and you're welcome to come and hang out. I'm not going to shame you for doing things. Again, I've done stuff I wouldn't do now. Often this strategy is about creating pain, inventing problems, and pinning them on your audience. You didn't know that you're fucked up in this way, so buy my thing. Like, but you are, but so buy my thing. Yeah, that's unethical. But what happens when we refuse to acknowledge the pain our customers are already feeling? What does it mean if your marketing is all happy, all about possibility, all about dreams, all positive vibes all the time? That's bypassing. Um, you can go find the whole post if you want. The idea that acknowledging your... The fact that people are in pain, that acknowledging that, witnessing them, meeting them where they are, that that's unethical. Guys, that's fucking, that's like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I told you we were going into a rant zone. So why am I mentioning all this? 
I'm mentioning all this because I'm very firm in what I believe in, while allowing a lot of room for changing my mind. I love changing my mind. I am, I, I hope I continue to change my mind. And I imagine there's things that I believe now that I won't believe in the future. Thank fucking goodness. But I'm saying this because I'm very firm in what I believe. I know what I do. I know that I help people find ways to create businesses that are, frankly, as ethical as they can be within a context where it is impossible to be ethical. That's a lot of the work that I do. I have a lot of confidence in that. And I see this kind of content and I feel shame. And if I feel shame with the knowledge, experience that I have, with the level of introspection and research that I have done, I can only imagine how you feel. Now, you might be one of the people who sees this kinds of content and feels validated because you've been in a position where someone has manipulated you. And it feels validating to see someone, quote, call it out. But I'm going to encourage us to be mindful that the judgment of others, if that is the only thing that we do, if our entire business, our entire lives is built upon being anti instead of being for something, that we are only a hop, skip, and a trip away from being shamed ourselves. There isn't a right answer here. And it's so tempting. It's so... We have such a desire to know the truth, to know what's right and wrong. It's a deep human thing. You know, there's this idea of of natural law or moral law, and... um, I, I do think that that's there. I do think there is some kind of natural law that has developed <laughs> in, our, in our consciousness. I believe it. And it means we want to know what's right. Which means if somebody tells us that something is wrong, it, it tickles that part of our brain that needs to know, that needs certainty, that wants clarity, that wants... Yeah, that wants rules to follow, even if it means that that makes us wrong or bad. And often these discourses are not corrective. They're not generative. They're not offering solutions. They're not saying, here's how to do it differently, or here's how to think about it differently. You're going to be shocked to know that in order to learn that, you usually have to pay somebody. Here's all the stuff you're doing wrong. Here's all the bad things in the industry Come to my free training to learn what to do instead. And I think that if we're going to critique, which we should, I think, again, these are opinions. You can tell me to fuck off. If we're going to critique, if we're going to get curious, if we're going to try to actually create new ways of doing things, then these are conversations, not prescriptions. These are questions not orders. And frankly, as someone who, yes, does free trainings where I sell things, the conversation about what is more ethical or what is actually um, appropriate or ways to not cause harm in business, you can have that in your program. That can definitely be work you're paid for. But leaving people stuck in the muck of their shame for not and, and not helping them figure out how to get to the other side without paying you? I think that's fucked up. 
I think that's exactly what people are saying they're against and they're doing it. So go check out my post on pain points on Instagram if you want to uh, kind of see how I handled that. So I'm gonna make a suggestion to you. First of all, if your work is so simple that you can include all of it in one Instagram post, then you haven't created a body of work. That's okay. But just like, if that's what you're afraid of, oh, if I put an answer in my Instagram post, no one's going to buy anything from me. You don't have a body of work yet. And you're probably not communicating about it effectively. And that's okay. You can build a body of work. But often what happens is there's this like, oh, if I give people too much, they won't buy from me thing. I I think I've seen that happen. um, But this is not a place where I'd be worried about that, to be honest. Um, So what do I usually do if I raise a question? I try to raise a question. I try to explain what I'm seeing, and then I offer a solution. I offer some next steps. I can't do a lot in an Instagram post. It's short. It's way too short. But you don't have to leave people where they are. In fact, that, especially with the pain point thing, is exactly the problem. Inventing pain, needling it, and then leaving people there. What the fuck? It, it, and it creates this feeling of self-righteousness or shame. And either of those two are dangerous. They're manipulative. This is a way of creating authority. This is, people are, are, this is a way of creating authority, of setting yourself up as being a, um, being the only one who knows the secret way to run a business without being, you know, whatever, a manipulative douchebag. Come to my free training and learn how not to be a manipulative douchebag. <laughs> So what do I propose instead? First of all, look, if you see stuff like that and you love it and it feels good to you and it is, uh, it feels supportive to you, it feels generative, it gives you ideas. Awesome. I think that's kind of like how my like thing. I was like, does this content shut me down or does it give me ideas, right? Is it putting me into shame? Is it putting me into reactivity or is it actually putting me into a generative state? I'm like, oh, I can see ways of doing this differently. Oh, I can question this. Or is it actually dogmatic in its own? Is it actually dogmatic and telling you, no, you can't question this? If you see stuff and you feel awesome about it, great. Then you can ignore what I'm saying. You might not even know what I'm talking about because for you, that content is really supportive. Awesome. But a lot of you are really sensitive kind of folk. (laughs) I know you. I know a lot of you very well. And my guess is you see this and you feel shame. And that there aren't solutions being offered, so you get stuck. I bet you see things like this, and I bet maybe your response isn't so different from mine. That you see this and you question whether you are even allowed to do your work. Even allowed to make money. Even allowed to charge money. So what do we do instead? I am not the expert on on dogma. Uh, That would be my friend, Ren. (laughs) Uh, We talked about this over on Clubhouse a little while ago. So I'm not going to try to like pull her words, though um, she'll probably come on the show soon because we'll be reopening registration for our year-long entrepreneurial witchcraft program. But when something is dogmatic, it is essentially being told with authority and that you're not allowed to question it. One of the ways that we can break out of dogma, something Ren teaches, something that I teach, something I loved actually when I met Ren and I wanted to... I'm going to keep shouting her out because she's very formative in this. But I was already in this place of using questions to teach more than answers. It's one of the reasons I call myself a coach. Lots of questions. 
And Ren helped me see that actually the questions are questions help to break dogma because you're not supposed to question. So what can we do instead? First of all, is you can present things as the form of questions. This is how philosophy has been examined for thousands of years. Right? This is this dialectic uh, way of learning and thinking. We pose a question and then we answer it. But we're answering it for ourselves, right? Here's what I think. Here's what I see. Here's what I know, right? And because it's in the form of a question, that means you can have a different answer. So instead of saying, this is bad, this is, people who do this are bad, and should be ashamed of themselves, we say, why do we do this? What is the goal? What is this doing for us? Why do we think we need to do this? Pain points, right? Condemning pain points, ethical marketing or spiritual bypassing. I think it's spiritual bypassing. I think pretending that your customers don't have problems is fucking bullshit. You can also disagree with me. I'm not going to think less of you for disagreeing with me, especially if you ask the question and come up with an answer. What I'm talking about are people who are closing doors, who are saying there's one way to do things, but also I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm just going to point out all the problems and make you feel bad. Make you think, oh, is this about me? Is this post about me? Is this, is this a subtweet <laughs> about me? Am I that person? Am I that thing? Am I the, the thing, the straw man? Is that real? Is it me? Because there's no solution. So all I can do is sit here in that question. That's the only question I have in a dogmatic trance is like, is this me? Am I bad? And no, you're not. I don't care if you've done bad things. I don't care if you've used marketing strategies that are gross and that you wouldn't use again, or maybe you're doing stuff right now and you haven't quite critiqued it yet. I've done stuff I wouldn't do before. I actually realized going, uh, you know, I, I really, in my evergreen funnels, have worked to take out all of the time-based language because it's not really true. <laughs> we have an evergreen funnel up. You can go through it again and buy the thing, right? It's not like, there's no actual time limitation. And so I've gone through over the course of the past year and edited that language to kind of create the sense of a conversation. I came up with this metaphor recently because, you know, this is another one. Time limits are bad. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I'm supposed to be available 24-7 for someone to make a buying decision until the end of my days? No, right? Boundaries are not the same as scarcity, right? That scarcity, boundaries are not a scarcity tactic. An evergreen funnel is like picking up the phone and having a conversation with someone and then putting down the phone at some point, right? However long your funnel is. Like four days later, okay, I'm, I'm getting off this call now. <laughs> like, but when we look at it through that lens, it does change our language. It does change both the intent and the impact of how we do our marketing. Saying this is wrong and if you've done it, you're bad. Even if it's a third-party straw, third straw man that they're setting up, right? You're not bad for doing bad things. That's actually not what justice is, right? That's not this idea of, of like transformation, transformational, transformative, sorry, justice is that you can transform, right? Also a topic that was not, a concept that was not designed to be about business, but there we are. So I don't know if I gave answers today. I hope I raised some questions. And I think like so much of social media, Recognizing that just because somebody is um, saying something doesn't mean it's true. Doesn't mean it has to be true for you. 
uh, especially in business where again, anyone who claims to have like the, like, Oh, here's how you run an ethical business. Uh, I mean, can you run an ethical business? That's my question. <laughs> Be wary if you're not allowed to question things. Anyway, that's my rant. That's my rant for the day. That's my rant that stems from the deep fear that I have that, that people who are saying they're one thing are doing the exact same thing they're critiquing. And that if you feel that, you can trust yourself. Trust your own discernment. And then if you have a response of shame, the way someone is talking about business, that's not a necessary step on the path to creating a business that's aligned with your values. Shame is not a necessary step on the path. You don't need to feel that. You don't need to feel publicly called out and ostracized. I mean, by like a random post on the internet, right? <laughs> Different thing being in relationship than having people like, you know, give you feedback and things, right? But like by random fucking posts on the internet, you do not need to be shamed. I hope this is helpful. I don't know if we ever got anywhere with this, but um, that's what I have for today, right? I'm mentally ill. I am sick of, I'm, I'm really, I'm not even just sick. I'm actually kind of terrified of the, the model that people are showing of a business being defined by what it's against rather than actually creating new things, creating alternatives, creating discourse. I'm very scared of the the shaming tactics of, of, of shame as a sales tactic that I find very scary because I think it's dogmatic and dogma, dogma being in a dogmatic trance, as Ren would say, that actually takes away our power. What it does is it takes away our agency. It takes away our ability to change. And if we are not changing, if we're not allowed to change, there's, there's actually nothing scarier. Being told that you cannot be, you cannot change your mind, you cannot learn, you cannot grow. That's what creates these problems in the first place. All right. That's what we got for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on iTunes. You know, and I welcome the conversation, right? I welcome you to disagree with me. I welcome you to tell me I'm wrong. I might not agree with you, but you can. <laughs> I think most importantly, I welcome you to question. To question everything. And to ask what people's solutions are. Because if you're going to put people in a place of fear, then you would damn better have a next step to get them out of it. If we do have any kind of moral responsibility, especially business owners who do transformative work, It's not to put people in a place of fear and shame and leave them there. All right, y'all. I'll see you next week. Bye for now.